What? I'm going on a mission. A real mission. What kind of mission? Come here looking for something important. What are you going to look for? God. God? What for? I just want to talk to him. Why? To make sure my grandpa's okay. Remember when you told me I was stupid for staring at that bug limp on my porch for six hours? Hoping the purple light would have gamma rays and turn me into the Incredible Hulk so I could fight crime? Yeah. Your mission's more stupid than that. Why? Because you can't look for God. Why not? Where in the world are you going to look? Going on a mission. A mission to find God. You know, there's two things about that. Many people are looking for God. But many people don't know how to find God. And if you think about it, that's, that's kind of crazy because really to find God, it's easy. In fact, God's Word says, if you seek me, you will find me. But of course, I suppose many people don't know how to seek God. You would, you would like to think that the church would be a place where people could find God. We have a picture here of our steeple. Uh, it's just been refurbished. There's lights shining on it now. There were lights before, but they had faulty wiring and the bulbs were burned out. And We spend a pretty good bit of money on this steeple to have it refurbished. We had to do that because it was leaking into the youth room and causing damage in the youth department. But you would like to think as many of those steeples as you could see all over the world and in our community that people could find God. Just, you would think, look for one of those and go to that place and you would find God. But the sad truth is many people won't go to those places. And when they do, sometimes it's not a church that would help people find God. But you know, God has called us to be the hands, be His hands and His feet in the world to help people find Him. I heard about a lady that was making a brochure for their church. It was an outreach brochure, and the logo that they had on there, they wanted it to be the hand of God protecting the world. And so the printing company made up the first draft and sent it over to her. And she sent them a message back and said, that hand looks too human. I'd like for you to give a hand that looks more like the hand of God. Now who knows what the hand of God looks like? We, we see the hand of God at work in our world if we know God. But who knows what that physical hand looks like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like these two hands right here. It looks like you're too, and you're too, and you're too. Because God has called us to be His hands and His feet here in the world. One way is said in the Bible is we are to be the light of the world. We are to be light that shines on God and helps people come to know God. And when people come to know God, then they come to know the hope that we have through knowing Him. 
That's our vision for our church. We announced our new vision that we've been working on last week. Our vision is that hope changes everything. And we want people to know the hope that's found in Jesus Christ because it really does. It changes people's lives. And we talked last week of how that hope in Jesus is an anchor for the soul. It keeps people grounded so that they, they have hope for the future. But how will we get that vision out to the world? That's the question we raise today. How will we get that vision out to the world? That becomes our mission of what, what we want to do as a church. And today we're going to talk about that mission. It's a very simple mission. It's very biblically based. And I'll tell you a little bit about how we arrived at that. Simon Sinek has written a book. He is a, a, not sure if he's a Christian or not. Most of the principles that he teaches are, are very uh, Bible-based. But he, he's written leadership books for organizations and businesses. And he talks about starting with why. And in his book, he talks about most companies just say, this is what we're going to do. Most organizations say, this is what we're going to do. But he says, we need to discover first why we're going to do what we're going to do. And if you start with why, and then you move to the how, then the what will become very clear. And we did that. Our leadership team here at the church did that. And we worked through that process of starting with why. And we came up with our vision statement. Hope changes everything. And we, we ask ourselves, you know, what do we want to be? Why are we here and what are we doing? And we said, because we're here to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. And that's how we got that vision statement. But then we ask ourselves, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get that hope out to this community and to the world? And we came up with this mission statement. And it's very simple, very biblically based, and it says we're going to love God and we're going to love people and we're going to serve both. And today we're going to focus in on that message. Uh, we moved on to the what, and that has to do with the, the values. You know, what are the values that we hold to to accomplish this? And we'll talk about that next week. But today we're going to focus on this mission. Over the next five weeks, we'll look at the five core values that we came up with to guide us. Today I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 25 through 37. A few weeks ago in our Why series, we talked about God's love and, and how we're supposed to love. And we learned about that word agape, the Greek word that's used most often in the New Testament to talk about the love that God has for us, the love that we should have for God and for other people. That love is, is defined as a genuine care and concern, compassion, respect, to put others above self, to want the best for other people. It's not based on emotions or feelings, but rather it is a decision that we make that we're going to treat other people this way. And God calls us to this. 
It is sort of an unconditional kind of love. And today, Jesus is asked a question about that kind of love. Luke, the author of this gospel, records this. He, of course, is also the author of the book of Acts. Luke is not an apostle, but he is a close companion of the apostle Paul. And he records here Jesus' teaching on this subject of loving God and loving neighbors. So let's read this together, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? That was Jesus. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. You will have eternal life. So notice he says, love God and love neighbor. We're going to break that down as it relates to our mission and, and think about what it means to us. And the first thing I want us to think about is that loving God is expressed through worship. Now, when I say the word worship, most people think singing. We did some singing here today, two very uh, beautiful hymns, hymns that I've been singing all my life and hymns that I love. But in, sh in short, worship is more than that. Uh, I want to put up a definition of worship here. Um, a reverent devotion and allegiance pledged to God. The rituals or the ceremonies by which this reverence is ex expressed. And you know, in short, we could say, Worship is really expressing love to God. That's the simplest uh, definition I've ever seen. And there are many ways that we can do that. We can sing. That's a form of expressing love to God. Uh, we can lift our hands when we sing, or sometimes we clap. We can sway. I know when I sing, I usually end up swaying back and forth because I get into the music and... And uh, I think God appreciates that. We can have ceremonies. We, we have two that we celebrate often. The, the Lord's Supper is a ceremony that we go through that is a form of worship. Baptism is a form of worship when we baptize somebody. Praying is a form of worship. Even reading the Word of God shows you're, you're expressing your love to God and you want to know more about Him. You're giving giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of your finances are ways that we worship God. In fact, just about anything you do, if you're doing it in the name of God or you're doing it for God, it is a form of worship. It's more. Worship is more than what we do here just on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. You see, you're not just a worshiper when you're here. You're a worshiper of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you are still a worshiper of God. And we should hope to express our love for God through our heart, through our soul, through our strength, through our mind, it says here in the text. 
That is with our desires, with our inner being, our physical body, even with the thoughts that we have in our mind, we express that love to God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I urge you then, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see what he's saying there? Because of God's mercy, that is, because when you were a sinner, he didn't take you out, that we should return our love to him, that we should offer our bodies, that is our whole person, that we should be living sacrifices as opposed to the dead sacrifices they would offer in the Old Testament. We would be living sacrifices. We would give of ourselves for God and that we would, we would uh, offer true and proper worship, it says. That is, that it would be real that it would be a, a, a right response because of the love he has for us that we express love back to him. So first, we're going to love God. And that shouldn't be just something you keep inside yourself. That should be expressed outward often. Let's move on now in our passage here in Luke 10 to the next part of this passage, verse 29. But he, that is that teacher of the law, we'll call him a lawyer, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Now, Second thing I want us to think about is that loving people means caring about the needs of everyone. You notice this lawyer, he, he wanted to get some clarification. In fact, he wanted some limits on how far he had to carry out this idea of love. And so he's setting Jesus up to explain that to him. It says he wanted to justify himself. Maybe this lawyer was not a very loving guy, really. I mean, he might have talked about it. He might have quoted the scripture. He might have knew what he was supposed to do. But maybe he just wasn't very loving, especially to people who were beneath him. Many times these, these Jewish 
leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they kind of held themselves as though they were above other people. Maybe people of other nationalities or people of low stature in the community. They didn't have much to do with them. Maybe downtrodden people they tried to avoid. Seems to me people that were left beaten by the road would not be someone that he would show love to. He knew what love meant. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he wanted some limits placed on it. And Jesus' parable shows us that there were to be no limits. In fact, Jesus gives the example of a, a priest and a Levite. They both worked at the temple. Of course, the priest represented God to the people and the people to God. He offered the sacrifices that people brought and ministered to the people and, and helped to teach the Word of God. The Levites... Uh, people from the tribe of Levites, men, took care of the temple. They were sort of the, the deacons of the day. And they helped clean up and they helped, they helped administer things at the, temp, at the temple. These were two men of God. And they saw this beaten traveler laying on the side of the road and crossed to the other side. They didn't want to help. The rabbis taught that if somebody was in need on the other side of the street, you didn't have to help them. So they crossed to the other side so they wouldn't have to help. I'm sure they could justify it in their mind a couple of ways. One way might be that, um, well, you know, I'm a priest and I have to go to work every day and if that guy's dead and I touch him, then I have to go through a cleansing process. It'll take me seven days and I won't be able to help uh, work at the temple for seven days. So I better stay away from this guy. Or maybe they could have thought this, this road to Jericho was very dangerous. There were robbers that hid on that road. And sometimes they would put somebody out there to, to beg or, or maybe to pretend like they were hurt. So somebody would come to help them and then the robbers would jump on them. Maybe they justified it in their mind that way. At any rate, they didn't do the loving thing. They didn't do the thing that God would have them do. But then Jesus brings in to play this Samaritan person. Now you might ask why a Samaritan? You know, the Jews hated Samaritans. Uh, they were from Samaria to the north of Judea. And they, they had for years been sort of enemies. And Jesus shows that this Samaritan person does what needs to be done. He's probably a businessman traveling through the area. He knew, it seems, the innkeeper. He had trust level with the innkeeper. He told him he would come back and he would pay more money if more money was needed. He showed the agape love to the man. It wasn't a feeling he had. He just did the right thing. He bandaged the man up. He put medicine on him. He put him on his own donkey and helped him get to an inn where he could stay and recover. He told the innkeeper, look, here's, here's two denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. A denarius is a day's wages. So he gave him two of his day's wages. And he said, when I come back, if I owe you more money, I'll pay you more money. But take care of this man until I return. 
He did the loving thing. He went the extra mile. It must have stuck like a dagger when Jesus asked the lawyer, now who of the three men was, was a neighbor? Who was the neighbor? Of course, the lawyer wouldn't say the Samaritan. The one who showed mercy on him, he said. He wouldn't speak the word Samaritan. But we learn a couple of things here. We learn that love means helping even people who may have brought trouble on themselves. After all, that guy was traveling by himself on the road to Jericho, a dangerous road. We learn that we don't know what nationality that man was, and I think on purpose Jesus didn't tell us. We learn that it doesn't matter about those things, that we help people despite what nationality they are, despite what religion they are. We learn that help should be practical, that it should be physical, that it should meet real needs, that we don't just pat people on the back and say, oh, I'll pray for you. And Jesus concludes his teaching with some words for this lawyer that are words for us as well. And he says to that lawyer at the end of verse 37, Go and do likewise. Go and do like the Samaritan did. And that leads to the third part of our mission, and that's serving both. We are to love God, we are to love people, and we are to serve both. This is where we put our faith into action. It's where we really become what God has called us to be. And we demonstrate most, first of all, that our love for God is real. You know, God has called us to be His hands and His feet here in the world. Rachel Nichols had a fourth grader. He sprained his ankle. He was on crutches. And it was his birthday, and he was in his class. They brought cupcakes on their birthday. Well, he couldn't carry the cupcakes and walk with the crutches. So Rachel asked her older son, he was in the sixth grade, could he carry the cupcakes in for his younger brother? Well, the sixth grader said, well, I could do it, but I don't want to. Well, dad heard the conversation and thought, this is a good teaching moment. And he said to the sixth grader, he said, well, listen, think about this. What would Jesus do? And the sixth grader said, well, Jesus would heal him so he could carry his own cupcakes. And a lot of times, that's, that's our attitude. Well, we'll pray for you. Jesus will heal you, and you can do for yourself. But you understand, sometimes God wants us to be his hands. He wants us to be the one carrying the cupcakes because somebody can't carry their own cupcakes. And he calls us to be those people. And that's how we show our love. And when we do that, we show that we love God, and that we love people. You know, there's a Greek word in the Greek language, koinonia. It's used quite often in the New Testament. It's a word that means fellowship, 
our community. And you see, that's what, it's all, what, what loving people is all about. It's about being in community and, and recognizing the needs of your community and showing your community the hope that people find because of God's love for them, but because God's people in that community love them. And that's what we're called to be, is people who spread the love of God. And we do that by serving. Back when I was at the church in Louisville, Tennessee, we had a lady that came to our Easter egg hunt one year. Her name was Jennifer. Jennifer had two sons. Jennifer uh, um, was raising these sons at that time on her own. Her boyfriend had kind of was kind of hit and miss. And at the time she was very downtrodden and she felt she had low self-esteem and she had these two boys. Uh, one was about two and one was about six or seven. And but they came to our Easter egg hunt and that day after that she came and talked to me. And she said, y'all seem like a very nice church. Tell me about your church. I'm trying to find a church, but to be honest with you, most places where I go, I just don't feel welcome, and I don't feel comfortable, but I felt welcome at your Easter egg hunt today. And some of our church members had really engaged with those two little boys and helped them, and they were live wires. You know how two-year-olds and six-year-olds are. And so they had helped them. And she started coming to our church. It wasn't too long, I believe, I, I baptized Jennifer and her oldest son, and they became regular part of our church, and, and they fit in. It was a few months later, we got a phone call one night, and Jennifer was telling us that her youngest boy, Noah, had grabbed a cord on a deep fryer that was sitting on the counter, and had pulled that deep fryer off onto himself. Hot oil inside. And he had burns over 50% of his body and um, was rushed to uh, the hospital there in Blumpel, and then he was taken to the Erlanger Burn Center in Chattanooga and eventually was transferred to Shriners Hospital up in Cincinnati. And he went through a very long recovery period, most of the time up in Cincinnati. I even traveled up there to pray with him one time, and, and, uh, and we ministered to them. But during that time, Jennifer would call, and she would say, I just need a prayer today. I need some hope. Could you just read me a Bible verse that would give me some hope? And I was glad to do those things. And we became a place at first where people would send money. The whole community there rallied around this family and sent money. And at first, our church was the only place people would call and say, is this legitimate? Is this a family that's going to use this money right? And, and I told them that they would. And eventually we got a bank account set up and they could just go to the bank and give money. Jeanette spoke at a couple of retreats that year, women's retreats. And both of those, when they heard the story, took up love offerings to give. But 
the point is the church community gathered around this family and gave them hope. And that's what we're supposed to do. And sometimes it's not just in a big situation like this. Sometimes there are people that just need a friendly smile, a pat on the back, somebody to step off in the corner of the church somewhere and just hear them and talk to them. That's what it means to serve both. We do it because we love God, but we do it because we love people. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And when we express the love for God out to other people, it gives us an opportunity, a chance, to share the good news of God's forgiveness and that everybody can have a relationship with God and everybody can one day end in heaven if they put their faith in Him. So here's our connection. When we fulfill our role in the church to love God and love people, the hope found in Jesus will be experienced by many. You know, we can preach about hope and love all we want. We can define what that hope is and what that love is. We can read scriptures about hope and love all day long. But until people experience people showing that hope and that love, and it's by that love that they come to find the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And He's called us to be His hands and his feet to express that. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's an article I came across about a community called From. It's in Somerset, England. And this particular community, there is a medical center, a hospital, and there was a general practitioner there who began to notice something and she began to do some study. And she found that the data showed that when people were isolated, when they were by themselves, when they didn't have much interaction with other people, their health got worse. But she found that when they were supported by other people, whether it be family or friends or whatever, their health improved. And she began to notice and and did some research and began to get actively involved in that. And as she did, they, they set up a program to where they would have volunteers that would connect people to local agencies, to community programs that would help give them interaction with other people and find help for them. And as they did this, the people's health improved. In fact they noticed a significant drop in the number of people that came into their emergency room in this community seeking help. And so they established a program and they got these volunteers. They were called health connectors or some were called community connectors that they would help connect the people that were isolated into the life of the community. I think that'd be a good word to call us. This community connectors. 
Because God has called us to go into our community and to connect people to Him so that they too can find the love that we know and the hope that we have because of our relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for Jesus, for His willingness to come down and even go to a cross to help connect us with you and to show the love that you have for us and to experience the hope that we know that you have for our future. And so we pray today, Father, that you would help that to spill over into our lives, that we truly would be on a mission to be a people who love you and who love other people and who serve both so that the world would become a better place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.